chapter 19. Do you want me? Am I loud enough? Perhaps not. Can you hear me? At the back, okay. So this is Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. And these are the words of Jesus, the first and the last. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And of those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we are. Friend, go up higher. I think you better have that. They don't like being that close. Well, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come now to uh, unpack what you say to us, Lord, I pray that you would give us listening hearts and ears that are open to hear your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have anybody in your friendship circle or your family who has the habit of finishing your sentences for you? I have to confess, I am one such person. You know, as people fumble for their words, I quite often say what I think they're trying to say. And the funny thing is, I don't always get it right. I've got a preconceived idea of what they're going to say even before they say it. And because I know what they're going to say, I don't even listen to what they're talking about. And we can do that with God. This morning, I want us to think about listening to God without prejudice. We've got a slide 
We have. Good. Listening to God without prejudice. Listening without preconceived ideas. Stopping to actually hear what God has to say to us. Now, for some of us, God may have a reputation. We may know what he's going to say. We may hear God through our own filter, the filter of our own prejudice. You know, I was watching Match of the Day the other week, and there were two Premier League managers who'd watched exactly the same penalty shout, and they were poles apart. They'd seen the same thing, but there was no objectivity in their analysis of what was going on. They were blinded by prejudice. And we can do the same when we come to difficult Bible passages. And if we do that, we can miss what God intends to say to us. And Matthew 19 might be just such a passage. This may be the second time you've had this passage read today. Because if you're participating in our Through the New Testament in a Year scheme, this is the passage you'll have read this morning. Now, I wonder how you've reacted when you've been given a passage about divorce. When I gave this reading to Doreen down at um, Quakers Road this morning, and I said, it's the passage about divorce, she went, ouch. You may have reactions to just seeing the headline on the passage, divorce. And your prejudice may say, it's not for me. I'm not currently married, you see, figuratively speaking. Or you may say, I am married and I'm not planning to get divorced. So this passage has got nothing to say to me. Or you may think, here is another long list of things that Jesus tells me not to do. Or you may be deeply affected by the subject of divorce. There may be people in your family, or even you yourself, who've been affected by divorce. And so when that word comes up on the screen, when it's mentioned, it causes enormous pain. You feel hurt. It starts to raise within you feelings perhaps of shame, or anger, or sorrow, or pain. Maybe even feel guilty. And the last thing you want somebody to do is to rub salt into a very raw wound. So maybe we come to a passage like this thinking we know what God is going to say. And perhaps we've already concluded it's not for us. So we don't actually allow God to speak to us because we've already closed our ears. So I want us this morning to come with an open heart and an open mind and look at what this passage might be speaking to us about. Because God says that all scripture is profitable, and that means even the difficult bits. So I want us to ask three questions as we look at this passage. And the first one is, what did the passage mean to those Pharisees and the Jews in Jesus' time? And then how does it fit in with the rest of Bible teaching? And lastly, what does it say to me? So let's look at the contemporary context first. Jesus isn't sitting down to deliver a sermon on divorce. He's asked a question by the Pharisees who want to trip him up. They want uh, to get him to say something which will get him into trouble. And like uh, John the Baptist, they want Herod to arrest him and dispose of him. 
So the Pharisees ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now they would have known their Old Testament law inside out and they would know that in Deuteronomy 24 it says, if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he should write out a certificate of divorce. But Moses had done this to protect the rights of the woman. It was not to justify divorce. The certificate gave the woman legal rights, including the right to go and marry again. And then Jesus explains to them the first few chapters of Genesis, how God made men and women, and how he intended that they should leave their parents and join together and be husband and wife, become one flesh, and that how God, what God had joined together, man shouldn't separate. So the Pharisees respond. If that's the case, they say, why did Moses institute divorce? And Jesus answered, it's because of their hardness of heart. In other words, they were finding it difficult to keep to God's purposes. And Moses instigated this because men were putting away their wives without any good cause. Their hearts were becoming hard, not only towards their wives, but also towards God. And none of that was new. The Pharisees would have known all that. The Old Testament law didn't treat men and women equally. But what Jesus is about to say is revolutionary and new. You see, a man could have gone off and committed adultery with another woman and he would not have been guilty of adultery. It was only the woman who was considered to have committed adultery. So here, Jesus teaches that a man also is guilty of adultery. Jesus is giving women rights. Isn't that contemporary? And before, a man could act with impunity, but now he is accountable. So Jesus is protecting women against being unjustly exploited. So Jesus is saying two things in this passage to them. He's saying that it's God's purpose for men and women to become together as one, to have equal responsibility. But where it's not possible, they both have equal rights. So Jesus' purpose in this passage was to correct a wrong. But let's not just look at it as it was for them. Let's have a look at this passage in the context of the wider scripture. Jesus has one big message in the middle chapters of each of the Gospels. And the message is this. The kingdom of God is near. God is inviting people to have God, Jesus is inviting people to have God come and reign in their hearts and in their lives. So much of Jesus' teaching is about repentance, turning away from those things which are not part of God's purpose, and turning to God and having God reign in your heart, aligning yourself with the heart of God. Now, when uh, Belinda and I retired, one of the things we did was we sat down and we wrote ourselves a little plan a little plan so that we could align or ensure that we align our lives with what we believe God had called us to do. We looked at the passions that God had given us, the gifts we'd received, the values that he'd endowed in us, and we called it our plumb line. It was something against which we could check whether or not we were fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. 
And interesting, this week, talking to Anita, I know her home group are doing something similar. They're doing the shape course, assessing the spiritual gifts God has given to each one of us. A plumb line. A plumb line against how we can measure our relationship with God. And yesterday, as you read through chapter 18, and partly this morning, Jesus has been dealing with four aspects of relationship. Beginning of chapter 18, verse 1, he's talking about, uh, they're talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that's about putting yourself first, or rather not putting yourself first. It's about relationships. And in verse 10, there's the parable of the lost sheep, which is about God's sacrificial care for us. He will not let us go. It's about relationships. And in verse 15, there's the discussion about a brother who sins against the brother. And it's about reconciliation. It's about relationships. And there's the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's about forgiving one another. It's about relationships. Four passages about relationships. And today's passage on divorce follows that theme. This is God's plumb line. This is his purpose for us. God says relationships are important. And to understand why the marriage relationship is particularly precious to him, we need to understand a wider spiritual context. And that is the relationship between God and us as believers. When we become a follower of Christ, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God lives in us. He becomes part of us. We become part of him. And that's why the church is referred to as the body of Christ. We are one. He and us together. The two have become one. Referred to as the body of Christ, but also referred to as the bride of Christ. We are married to Christ. And in human marriage, we get a picture of that beautiful spiritual truth, of that indissoluble relationship between Jesus and us, the church. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's the context, the context of Jesus at the time ensuring equality. And then in Scripture, Jesus giving to us, in the wider context, a plumb line about how our relationships should be. But lastly, what does it mean to us here today? Let me just suggest briefly three things that this might say to us. The first thing is Jesus treats us all equally. Equality is a big thing these days. Jesus treats us equally. Whatever our gender, whatever our race... Whatever our orientation, God loves us equally. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And that means that Jesus this morning loves you as much as he loves any other person on the face of this planet today. Jesus loves us equally. And secondly... This passage underlines just how precious we are to God. God has put his spirit in our hearts and made us one with him. That's the real marriage between Christ and us, the church. 
between you and your bridegroom, Jesus. And though we fail in our relationships, one with another, Christ will never fail in that eternal relationship with us. But the third thing this morning it might mean to us, and this is perhaps the most sensitive side, this passage might mean that we feel very vulnerable. This passage might hit a raw nerve as we read it. It might become very personal. If you've experienced divorce personally or within your family, you may still be gripped by a searing pain. You may feel guilty this morning. And every time a passage like this is mentioned or opened up, what you hear is God speaking words of judgment on your failure. He's rubbing salt into your wound. You know that a precious relationship has failed, but the last thing you need is God being all high and mighty. God coming to you when you're in shreds with words of judgment. And if that's the case this morning, you need to hear the full voice of God. The voice that says you are not condemned. The voice that says in Romans 8 and verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The voice that says in John 12 and 47, for the person who hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. Jesus doesn't come this morning in judgment on us. He knows we fail. He knows that sometimes our lives are in pieces. He does not come to judge. A time is coming of judgment. A time is coming when all those who are not in Christ will be judged. But the whole point of Jesus coming to us this morning is not to condemn us, but to save us, to heal us, to restore us, to realign us, that we might be in line with his plumb line. Yes, we've fallen short. But like that parable of the lost sheep, Jesus wants to rescue us. He wants to bring us home. Jesus doesn't want to punish us. He wants to purify us. He wants to repair those things that are damaged. He wants to bring light into that darkness in which we sit. So Jesus' message to us, if this has touched us personally, is lift up your head. I'm here to make you whole. So as I trust over these coming days and this coming year, we, we together read the New Testament day by day, reading the words of Scripture and reading the wise comments that Peter Misselbrook has given to help us understand it. I hope that we will read every passage and every word. And as we do so, that our hearts will be open to hear what God has to say to us. Let's listen without precondition. Let's listen without preconceived ideas, without prejudice, so that God, by his spirit, can actually use his word to speak living life into our hearts and our souls. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that although it was given to different people in a different time, it is your living word for us today. It's your living word for me right now. Lord, I pray that my ears will be open and my heart receptive 
to everything you have to say. Lord, as we, your people, this year go day by day through the New Testament, reading it together, Lord, affect our lives, I pray. Give us fresh vision, fresh insight by your Spirit and reassure us of your love for us, your transforming love, that you are with us every day and every moment. Lord, we thank you for such love. Thank you for your the way that you don't come to condemn us, but Lord, the way you just speak words of love to us. Lord, take us and make us fully yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.